Remember Charles Corral? Yes. Okay. Welcome to, to another, another episode, episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. I'm Charles Corral's former nephew's barber's uncle, Jim Steves. Okay. That's Joe. I'm, and <laughs> what? I'm, my name is Joe. This I'm is Charles the podcast Corralt. that brings you nostalgic, interesting, and crazy events in American pop culture history year by year. That's exactly it. I'm glad you wrote that. No, that was off the top of my head. Oh, it was? Yeah. Off the top of your beautiful head. Okay. Tell you that much right there. Um, so, this year is the last year of the oh, 80s. Oh, man. We are almost tell done tell with another season, y'all. So, this is 1989 oh, man, that's that we're right. discussing. This is the second to last episode, and we're going to give props to everybody. Uh, we love you all. We got some things to cover. Yes. Uh, but we got, uh, yeah, we're. Uh, Thank you to you guys who've been there from the beginning, the ground floor people. Mm -hmm. They're the real heroes in America. That's right. All right, yeah. so let's just dive in. Let's dive right in. So we began, if you recall, at the end of 1988. Do you remember yes. what the number one song was as we left the year? No. You don't recall? You didn't, is it, no. It's almost as if you don't pay any attention. It's been two weeks. It's been a while. Yeah. Poison. Every rose oh, right. has its thorn. Okay. Just like Stop. Eh. All right. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. How I drank that. Um, so that that lasted until January thirteenth. Okay, so that's the number mm -hmm. one song right now as we go into January. Okay, couple things about nineteen eighty nine. Yes, that don't have dates, but they're just things about the whole year. Yes, um, the big, the hottest dance step in mm -hmm. nineteen eighty nine. This will mm -hmm. go along with your stupid fashion bullshit. Marsha Griffith's electric slide. Oh wow! Yeah, that's right. And. I don't know if you know this, but that was originally written and and a dance was done in the seventies, like seventy six to that. Oh, really? I guess I didn't yeah. know that. And then they it was like a ten step, and then a twelve step, and then a fourteen. Like there's all these different steps that were oh, and they kept being evolving every year, like yeah. in the seventies and the early eighties and everything. But not till nineteen eighty nine did it catch on. Okay, and it was like a new somebody added a few more steps to it, and then it became the big thing. Yeah, and then from then on, it would just stay big. It's like at every wedding, at every you know, it's mm -hmm. always still big. It's old people still do it. Sweet. Also, in 1989, veterinary surgeons trained in the U.S. Up until 1989, they were trained and taught to ignore animal pain. What? Yeah, up until 1989, they didn't give animals painkillers, apparently. Oh. Isn't that terrible? Yes. Oh, it's so sad. Um, yeah. Why would they? I don't understand why. I think they just, you know, animals don't feel pain. That's what people oh, said. That's pretty late for them to change their mind on that. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's according to popculture.us. Yeah. So maybe maybe they're wrong because sometimes they get years wrong and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then on January 14th, 1989, mm -hmm. the new we have our first new number one single of the year, 1989. Yep. It's by a young man named Bobby Brown. My prerogative? Yes, that's exactly it? it. Yep, and he he's possibly the greatest R and B entertainer of all time. Why? No, no, Bobby Brown, the greatest R and B entertainer of all time. Yeah, Bobby Brown. No, he's so good. Don't you remember the Ghostbusters song he did? 
<laughs> don't remember the Gumby haircut? He's the most innovative entertainer of all time, maybe? I, I wouldn't know. I don't oh, think he was he's... great. Well, my prerogative, Bobby Brown explained the theme behind the song, saying a lot of things have been said about Bobby Brown. He's saying uh, this? Yeah. Oh, geez. So why was he doing this, a solo career? It's my way of expressing to people, it's your prerogative to do as you want, but make sure what you do is the right thing. So Bobby Brown had already completed recording sessions for the Don't Be Cruel album. That mm-hmm. whole, remember that whole album? That was great. That's a great album. Most of the songs are great. Um, and if you remember, Vanessa on The Cosby Show put that left that tape oh, in the freezer. Yeah, and she I accused think, everybody of stealing it. I think I, it does it ring a tape. very yeah. faint bell. But he completed the recording sessions without my prerogative. But he felt something was missing in that record. He said, man, I don't know, but I, I feel like my album is lacking a strong, aggressive song. And he thought... You know, where better than New York to come up with it? So he traveled to New York City mm-hmm. with his producer, Gene Griffin, and they both wrote it together and came up with it in okay. New York. My prerogative. That's, that's Bobby Brown. Bobby B. Bobby B. And then on Sunday, January 15th of 1989, mm-hmm. Big John Stood won the Royal Rumble. Okay. It was the number, the second Royal Rumble ever. Mm-hmm. So still at this point, the winner of the Royal Rumble, just for your clarification, because I know it's just eating at you, your curiosity. Mm-hmm. At, in 1989, still, the Royal Rumble winner did not go on to f- to challenge for the heavyweight title at WrestleMania. Okay. It did not happen yet. Okay. <laughs> so just relax about that, okay? All right, all right. Now, Big John Studd had just made his return to the WWF after years of being gone. Mm-hmm. Um and he he was always Andre Giant Andre the Giant's nemesis, you know. Yeah. So when he left WWF, he was the bad guy. Andre the Giant was the good guy. But as you recall, in previous episodes we discussed Andre's heel turn when mm-hmm. he and Andre he and Hogan were friends, and then he turned bad. Remember he turned yes, on Hulk Hogan I remember. and became the bad guy. I remember. So Big John Sud comes back, and Andre's a bad guy. So Big John Sud can't be a bad guy anymore. So he's got to be a good guy. Oh. And so they want to give him this big push as a fight to Andre the Giant, I guess, and so they had him win the Royal Rumble to get him over, as they say. Over as they means say. over with that? the fans, the wrestling mm. people. They get him over with the fans so the fans love him and it can be a, mm-hmm. a big thing. But then he quit wrestling six months later. Oh, came and to his senses. And he died. You know, <laughs> no, he said it was due to poor payoffs. He wasn't getting paid as much as he thought he was worth. Oh, all right. Yep. Okie doke. Big John Stud. What's next? Big giant guy. You don't want to talk any no. more about Big John Stud and the Royal I, Rumble? And I'm slightly concerned because... Yeah. Earlier today, you said, yeah. well, you know, after 1989, there's no more wrestling history, so I'm going to make 1989 be really, really heavy on the wrestling, and I'm really... I didn't say it in that voice. <laughs> yes, That's you, not what my you voice did say like. it in that voice, <laughs> and I'm very concerned that um, that that's going to be the case. I'm just putting that out there. You're concerned, huh? I'm deeply concerned. Okay. Well, then, touche, because Saturday... We've had two wrestling stories, and we're not even (laughs) midway through January. Saturday, January... No, we've only had one. Well... We've only had one. It felt like two. It was so long. Oh, okay, I see. Well, Saturday, January 21st, Coco Beware was another wrestling... No, are you kidding? (laughs) I am kidding. Saturday, January 21st, Phil Collins takes over the top charts. Your favorite. What do you like... Wait, let me ask you this. (laughs) What do you like better, Phil Collins songs or wrestling? Oh, Jesus, don't make me pick. <laughs> Jesus, Lord, don't make me pick. I, I would like a sharp stick in the eye more than either of those things <laughs> is what I would like. Okay, we're starting a new civilization, a new world. You're going to a new planet. Yeah. And you, you have to keep one and get rid of one. Which do you keep, Phil Collins or wrestling? Oh, I guess wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. That just you, only shows yes. how much I hate Phil Collins. You that are. does not mean anything at all about wrestling. You are a huge Phil Collins fan. No. Then you must have definitely, oh my God, you really hate Phil Collins. Yeah. So you must have hated the movie Buster. You know what that movie is? No. The movie Buster is a 1988 British romantic crime comedy starring Phil Collins. Oh my God. I want to see it just because I can't imagine Phil Collins acting. Yeah. But he's such a bald little. I like. He looks like a cute little fellow. He's like a cupid doll. He's like a British. You know Charlie those cupid dolls you can win at carnivals. <laughs> oh, because he's got a little tough to <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He yeah. Like a cupid doll. Yeah, like a. But he's British. He's got the little British, British cupid doll. Little baby British yep. cupid doll that makes songs that you hate. Yes. You just hate his voice. Right? I just hate his songs. I hate his songs. So if so if he sang just covers of Madonna songs. Oh you no, love. I wouldn't. It would have that sound, that Phil Collins sound. So it's not just the song. I guess it's just singing. It's the way he sings. Something about it all together. I'd dig me some Phil Collins. Um, So this song, uh, he took over the number one charts on January 21st with two hearts. Um, You know we're two hearts living in just one Oh, God, yes, yes. So that's a song from the the movie. Buster. the, The soundtrack to the film Buster. Okay. The 1988 film, which I never once yeah, I didn't hear. knew that he ever acted no. at all. So I didn't either. I'm surprised by that, but yeah. Um, but I could groove to that song. I could, uh, I could mm. maybe start taking my shirt off in the Prius. No, no, I don't think so. I love Phil Collins' greatest hits. Oh God! When I met you, that's all I listened to. Phil Collins' greatest hits. And then on Sunday, January 22nd, 1989, mm-hmm. the 49ers defeated the Bengals by the score of 20 to 16, winning their third Super Bowl. Okay. It was at Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. Was that the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl? I think it was. Yeah, I think so. That's a good question. Because I know you always said yeah, they suck. The Bengals have been terrible for years. Yeah. Every once in a while, they're pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure that's the last time they're in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, this was the first Super Bowl hosted in the Miami area in 10 years, and the first Miami. First in Miami not held the Orange Bowl. The game is best remembered for the 49ers' fourth-quarter game-winning drive. Down 16-13, to 13, San Francisco got the ball on their own eight-yard line with three minutes and ten seconds on the clock and marched 92 yards down the field in under three minutes. Now, how then do they, they decide sc- who's going to host the Super Bowl? Then they score the winning touchdown on a Joe Montana pass to John Taylor with just 34 seconds left in the game. Jerry Rice is the MVP, and he caught 11 passes for a Super Bowl record of 215 yards. Okay. Okay. They decide generally based on, really, it's who's got the newer stadium. Okay. Now, I don't know about then. Maybe it wasn't then. But Mm -hmm. um, now it's more of a reward for a team or a city building a new stadium. Oh, okay. So, and it, it all ties into... Um, cities who you know try to get taxpayers to agree mm-hmm. to build a new stadium, and they're like, "Well, shit, we just fucking built one ten years ago. You know, we got to yeah. build another one." And uh, and the whole thing is, "Hey, well, you might get a Super Bowl. You probably oh, get a I Super see. Bowl." And then that's supposed to be great for the city, like the RNC and the DNC and all that. Oh, to have the big stadium. Yeah. So I see. So, for instance, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Minnesota held held the Super Bowl. Yeah. Last year. And um, they had just built a stadium. They just got a stadium built after years of trying to. And I thought their roof fell down. In yeah, that was stadium. the old stadium. Oh. And then, they, so they were like, shit, we need a new fucking stadium. Because that was the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. So what did they play in while, before the new stadium was built? They went to the University of Minnesota. Oh. And paid, played for a couple of years. The oh. Gophers Stadium. Um, 
just like Chicago. When we lived in Chicago, they redid Soldier Field. I don't know if you remember that. No. They built it. Remember it? Remember it looked like an old like, was Coliseum? Never, yeah. And, and then later, when they redid it, it looked like a spaceship. Did it? Yeah. So when they, and they played in Champagne oh, while they okay. were redoing it. So, and I went to that game with Ann Keen and we sat real close. But anyway, so generally it's like once you build a new stadium, then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, now you're in the running for the Super Bowl. And so Minnesota got the Super Bowl right after they built a brand new stadium. Oh, okay. Um, so it's all kind of just a ploy tax yeah. bullshit and whatever. So um that's a good question though. I'm glad you asked that question. So Jerry Rice is the MVP and uh do you want to guess who sang the national anthem in nineteen eighty nine? Can I have a clue? Okay, your clue is um this guy was married to a model and he's no longer married to her and he's a son of a bitch. Billy Joel? Yeah, Billy Joel. <laughs> Which did you get it on? Son the of son a of a bitch. The son of a bitch part. No. no, I think, I don't know if Billy Joel's the son of a bitch. I don't Maybe know. Not. No. I, I don't um, know. No idea. I, did, I was out of clues. So yeah. I, yeah, Billy Joel. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and he sang the national anthem in the style of We Didn't Start the Fire. No, he didn't. He did. No, he didn't. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early no, light? No, he did not. I didn't listen to Beats Patterson. Um, and then want to guess the cost of the Super Bowl ad in 1989? Hmm. What I should do is recap what 1988 was and see if you can guess that. Yeah, you should. That would be nicer. Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. No. What is it? It's not that high. What is it? I can't believe you thought it was that high. What's wrong with you? Six hundred seventy-five thousand, babe. Okay. Yep. There you go. All right. And then you'll we'll jump to your. I just have a a mini story here in January. You do in January of 1989. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so, do you, if, do you remember the Noid, Domino's Pizza? The Noid, yeah. He was like a like, little. He was like a red devil like, with he had rabbit ears. Rabbit ears, but he, he was like just this grotesque it was thing. An annoying character, right? Yeah. Um, he was. You were um, annoyed by the Noid. He would yeah, annoy you if you don't order pizza. Yeah, and and he was created by an ad agency group two forty three, and so okay. they. Um, created this physical manifestation of all the pizza problems that could occur on the way from the store to your house. Oh, so that the, was the, the whole the thing. thing. It was a part of nipple. the 30 minutes or less guarantee. Oh, okay. I'll say, was there anything to do with no, the pizza nipple? No, nothing to do with the, the, the box taint. The box taint, no, the pizza nipple, yeah. Um, but the Noid um, didn't just attempt to ruin fictional pizzas. He actually succeeded in ruining one man's life. Oh, he did. On January 30th, 1989, a young man walked into his local Domino's it was 11 o'clock in the morning. A little early for pizza, but this man wasn't there for a slice. He was there to exact revenge. Oh. Brandishing a fully loaded 357 Magnum revolver, Cam- Kenneth Lamar Noid declared that the Domino's employees were his hostages and they were to do as he said. Oh, shit. So His name was Noid. Yes. And so he was pissed that they yeah. made a commercial. So this was not a name. random act of terror. This was had been three long years of this man's psychological torment. Oh, he um, explained to the people that the, the 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 hostages there that domino's owner tom monahan had stolen his name routinely spied on him in his apartment and was personally antagonizing him with the avoid the noid campaign and that was just a local guy who owned it right no that's that the owner the of, domino's oh, owner that's an yeah. old franchise yeah. all of it? Okay. so he ordered his employees to call domino's headquarters to demand a hundred thousand dollars in a white limousine as a getaway car um so as they attempted to make the call, he fires one warning shot into the floor just to show that he was serious. Into the floor of the dominoes? Yep. So when the police arrive, he made a small concession. He would exact he would exchange an employee for the 
for a copy of the science fiction book The Widow's Son. <laughs> what? I know. That, that's weird. That's and now this book was about an all powerful super elite who control the world. How old was this guy? Um you know? didn't I say it? Uh, I just said a young man. I didn't say young it. Young man. But he's not in high school or something. No, no. I was thinking I gotta get a book report. He's in his twenties or get something. This from the library no, he, um so an officer fulfilled this bizarre request only for Kenneth to change his mind after the offer. As the police standoff continued, something unexpected happened to Kenneth. He got hungry, so he's in a pizza place. Yeah, so if you're he, hungry and you're in a Domino's pizza holding people hostage. Yep. So he orders the um, hostages to make a pizza. Oh, and they can put and laugh, they can put sleeping pills in it. Well, he actually they make two large pizzas with everything on them and with sleeping pills. And so he puts his gun down on his lap to eat his pizza and then he lets his guard drop and the employees escaped their captor and i'm not sure the exact details of what oh, happened they just what escaped. Went down. they didn't like go for the gun or anything I don't, eating pizza. I don't know I, i'm not sure the particulars i couldn't find anything about it oh, man. so um they, they were held for six hours so after that he finally surrendered to police he was charged with kidnapping aggravated assault extortion and possession of a firearm during a crime oh, um guy did he go to jail Although, I'll get there. Although oh. Domino's desperately wanted to keep the Noid in their ad rotation, it was retired one year later due to negative publicity surrounding the hostage situation. I'll bet. And then the 30 minute or let, less guarantee followed a- after that, was, and it was discontinued shortly thereafter because there was um, reckless driving issues and there was a vehicular manslaughter. Yeah, because people were trying to get there in 30 minutes. There's for a sure. couple people they that killed died. People. They God. did. Domino's Pizza. As, Killed people because of 30 minutes yep. or less. As for Kenneth Lamar Noid, he was deemed acutely psychotic by doctors and found innocent by reason of insanity at his Poor trial. Guy. I bet he was sane before the Noid commercial. Georgia Mental Health Commercial. Man. I mean, Institute. Unfortunately, There's... Kenneth was never able to get the Noid out of his head. He spiraled deeper into insanity and committed suicide in 1995. Oh. So. Poor guy. There All you because go. of an ad campaign. I know. Who were the ad wizards that killed that guy? <laughs> no kidding. So that was just a little short thing, but I thought that was interesting. Well, also, it's funny that um, Jim Jim Energizer Bunny, he yeah. got pissed about the Energizer Bunny using his oh, name. Oh, ha, ha. And, um, You're too funny. And Dave, the Cheerios B. Oh, well, that's dumb. That's, that's dumb. stupid. That was stupid. I cut that out. My dumbass. Sometimes, you know, not every joke hits. That's true. Well, that was a good one. I'm glad you had that. Yeah, it was very interesting. I never knew that happened. I don't remember hearing about no, that. No, I didn't either. In fact, I've been missing the Noid. I've been like, well, where is that? I really Wanting that, that back? Yeah, like that. Ma- Max Hedrum and, uh, and uh, I remember we talked about Max Mr. Clean. Is Mr. Clean. Clean still around? He is still around. So or the Tidy Bowl guy? I've always remember wa- the Tidy Bowl guy that was like a oh, tornado in the bottom and he came up? No. Or was that Mr. Clean? I remember Clean? the Mr. Bubbles. Yeah, Mr. Bubbles guy. With the mustache. I always wanted the uh, Mr. Clean to fight the bounty pick, quicker, quicker picker, up, picker upper guy. The lumberjack guy. That's your wrestling f- fetish. And I always wanted to fuck Mrs. Butterworth. <laughs> so No, that's not. Oh, I do. You I did not. Get it. Oh. I no, wanted her to come to life and just give me a hand job. That's all. Stop it. That's, is that on too much to ask? February 4th, 1989. We got a new number one single, babe. Do you remember the band Sheriff? Um, Was it reggae? No. No, I don't. It was a hair band, and I don't. No, I don't. I have definitely no, don't. I have no memory of these guys, and uh, so this song. Here's the thing about it: they the song that became number one in 1989 mm-hmm. was originally released off the Sheriff's debut album. Okay. Um, 
1983. And this is a Canadian hair band. And it was their biggest hit, okay? Being frustrated, the band was frustrated with their lack of success. And they broke up. Uh, In November of 1988, Brian Phillips, program director at KDWB in Minneapolis and WKTI in Milwaukee, began playing the song. Just Mm -hmm. for no reason. He just liked it. And eventually, other radio stations nationally followed suit. I don't know why. This encouraged Capitol Records to re-release the song on a single. On February 4th, 1989, When I'm With You hit number one in the U.S., no, I don't know it. You don't know it? Mm-mm. You'll know it if I sing this. So, But the band had broken up already, and they had been broken oh, up for years right. when it hit number one. So they had to get back together? The, the song was, here's the, here, I didn't recognize it all until it got to the hook, which okay. is, Baby, I get chills when I'm with you. God. Baby, <laughs> oh baby. Oh my God, you're singing. I get chills when I'm with you. I don't know. Baby, yeah. No, I don't. No. God. Yeah, damn. I'm such a terrible singer. You are just, a horrible I, singer. I'm not a great singer. No, you're not. Why am I not? You do a lot of good things, but that is not one of them. I do? What? Name seven of the things I do well. Yeah, you do a lot of good things. I do? Really? Yeah. Man, it's just, I can't, why can't I sing? I can, I feel like I can sing. Sheriff, when I'm No, you're wrong about that. Oh, God, look at him. Oh, Lord. Look at the guy in that white suit. Yeah, He's probably the, the lead suit. singer. They're, look, it's, they got hollow notes on the other two ends of them. The guy with a mustache. Oh, they the, do, yeah. It's like in the 80s. You were either a guy with a mustache. Like a big, giant mustache. Yeah, a big mustache, or you were a guy in a white suit with blonde hair. Long, that's ratty blonde options. hair. Yeah, so that that song was... So that's weird. So then, um, by that time, former Sheriff members, Lonnie and... Lanny and bassist Wolf Hassel had formed. Lanny and Lanny. Lanny and Wolf Hassel. Oh, Lanny and Wolf Hassel. Lanny and Wolf Hassel had formed a duo. What kind of name. names are those? They they had already formed a new band called Frozen Ghost. So they're like, no, I know we're at number one right now, but we can't. No, we can't, you're kidding. We they can't didn't? reform. We've already formed a new band called Frozen Ghost. But um, Sheriff's lead vocalist Freddie. Kersey and guitarist Steve DeMarchi, who had both been working as couriers at this point. Oh, wow. <laughs> they both gave up and were working as couriers. They decided, oh, well, we're number one. Let's form another band. And they formed a band called Alias. And they charted the following year with a number two hit, More Than Words Can Say. Okay. Well, it's not It's not More Than Words. No, it's right. a different song that vaguely sounds familiar when I listen to it. Okay. But it's not that great. So I think that's just a crazy thing. that Yeah, that they... There's random, there's random reasons people just make songs and they go number one again yeah like, you remember luke and laura that yeah. song from luke and laura yeah. and there's another one coming up this year that just randomly became Got number, number one, one because a guy heard it somewhere and then he said hey play the song and then it went viral like that's the old viral the old version of viral right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's crazy yeah there's several 80s versions of viral in these next two episodes here and then on february 11th that song was overtaken by paula abdul her first this is Paul Abdul's breakout. Oh God! Uh, I, before she was, she was a choreographer. Before I know this. that. Yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. And this is her first. Is it the single. one with the cartoon cat? Nope, that was Opposites later. That was late. Okay. Paul Abdul, I think. Oh, okay. This is first one. Oh God! I. What is it? Um, I'm trying to think. I give any, any hints. Let me tell you about the background of the song. Okay. Uh, Paul Abdul says in a YouTube video that her mother found the song for her. 
She says that her mom knew someone whose boyfriend was an aspiring songwriter, and she got this song as an eight-track demo. The demo, ver- eight track. the demo version was so bad that Paula's mom was crying laughing at it and threw it in the trash. But Paula heard something she liked in it, and she retrieved it out of the garbage. Right under that eclair that George Yep, Costanza that's ate. right. At that time, she was a full-time choreographer, and on the side, late at night, uh, she was recording music. The music label didn't think the song was any good, but Paula made a deal with them that she would record two songs they wanted, which she didn't like if they would let her do Straight Up. Straight up, now tell me, do you really want to love me forever? Oh, oh, oh. The song was recorded at a cost of $3,000. Later, a friend of hers told her that somebody with her same name was being played on a Northern California radio station. Literally, within 10 days, it sold a million copies. The song was originally recorded in a bathroom. Hmm. And in the masters of the recording, you can hear someone in the next apartment yelling, Shut up! Really? Yeah. That's hysterical. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Can you imagine if you were in the apartment next door and your neighbor would kept singing straight up now Tim, oh, and they were no. singing it over and over and over and like, fucking shut up yeah no it. kidding and then that song became number one it's funny yeah so there you go why did they record it in the bathroom i don't know she's probably in an apartment in california somewhere you know she was a laker girl paul abdul yes yeah yep and this was her first now she's a foray into the recording now work. she's a hot mess now she's a fucking hot mess she's a hot mess they have to wheel her out yeah i when think it's I think she was on painkillers because of yeah. da- like hurting herself and probably dancing, right? yeah dancers dancers don't fuck around no man. their bodies get jacked their up. feet are fucked up their yeah. bodies are fucked up just for art That's so right. we should a little shout out to dancers out to <laughs> dancers especially strippers <laughs> Tuesday February fourteenth nineteen eighty nine Salman Rushdie published the Satanic Verses oh that's right and and on he had already published them. Uh, I, and and on, on this date, February 14th, Ayatollah Khomeini ordered a fatwa that's on right. him. Uh, that's a command ordering followers of the Muslim faith to kill him. Um, and so then he went into hiding and all that. But uh, did you know that the fatwa was lifted? Was in, it? In 1998? wonder what in the satanic verses they hated so much. I the, never even heard. It was basically, it was the whole thing about their Mo- God isn't Muhammad real. Isn't Muhammad real. And it was like a joke about it or like all that stuff about yeah. It was like one of the first iterations of people, I think, having pictures of him and stuff like that. Oh, you're he had not pictures of him in there? I can't remember exactly what it was. I don't think he did, but it was like that whole thing. Yeah. You're not allowed to draw him. You're not allowed to do this about yeah. him. You're not allowed to see this about him. So it was kind of... It was kind of whatever it was it was disparaging Muhammad. I think. I think that's so strange. I read about it, but I that whole thing is so strange because you can believe whatever you want to believe, but yeah. you can't force other people. Well, that's the problem. Not to. Do that's th- always the problem. Like, like if you're, it's your religion, there's no other religion I don't think that that has something that where they say if you're outside this religion, we'll kill you if you. Well, it's just like homophobia. I mean, people are against it because it's against their religion. But they force it on other people. Yeah, right. They're forcing it on other people. But they Same they thing. don't go out and kill. I mean, well, they do. The, the religion doesn't sanction it, though. Right. That's true. That's right. You know, that's, that's just true. bizarre to me. But people, so many people like you die. can't draw. Somebody died because they drew a picture of Muhammad. Yeah. Well, more people die in the name of religion, of religion probably. Than anything I get else. that, but I guess it's just it's so strange to me. It's like I don't know. Losing my religion. Remember that song? That sounds. Exactly- I guess it's kind of. I guess it's kind of like if you're a pharmacist, but you don't 
believe in the morning after pill so you refuse to sell it to people even though you're you think that it's connected at all what what you know how yeah no i know i get that well yeah i guess that's a religious belief so it's a religious belief so you're not going to give it to other people no matter what their religion is like the pro-life and the pro-choice it's like i want to prevent other people yeah because i believe in because it's my belief oh that's different i think i don't think it's a religious thing that people just have different feelings of what a baby but no it is the gay the gay thing for sure people are like yeah Gays need to go away and not be able to get married because my religion says it's not okay. Right. What if their religion doesn't say, you know, the same thing? Yeah. The religion always. Hoops it all up. When it starts infringing on other people's rights. Right. That's all, and that's what everything is. My right is not a right anymore if it infringes on other people. That's right. But that's not always. Anyway, Salman Rushdie, because remember when he came back suddenly? Yeah. I guess it was after 1998. Now he, he goes on back. like Bill Maher and stuff. Oh, yeah, he's everywhere. Yeah. But because that fatwa was lifted. Oh. Tuesday, February 21st, 1989, uh, Pete Rose. Do you remember Pete Rose? Yes. And remember I talked about him being in wrestling and stuff? Do you know who Pete Rose is? Baseball player? He's a baseball player. player. Like, and he was a player manager, too. He's yeah. one of the only guys who was a player manager. Like He managed the team. Be like a head coach. Oh, on going the on the playing. Yep. Uh, but, you know, he's not in the Hall of Fame. He can't. He's banned from the Hall of Fame. Because of gambling, gambling or something, gambling. right? Yeah. yeah. So he and two of his lawyers, Reuven Katz and Robert Pitcairn Jr., they met in New York with baseball commissioner Peter Uberoth, the National League president, and the National League president, Bart Giamatti, and other officials, uh, executive vice president Edwin Durso, and incoming deputy commissioner Faye Vincent. The topic, it is later revealed, is Pete Rose's gambling. And then on Wednesday, February 22nd, 1989, the 31st Annual Grammy Awards were held. Grammy At the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles again. Yep. They recognized accomplishments by musicians from the previous year. Album of the Year went to George Michael for Faith. Good. Song of the Year went to Bobby McFerrin for Don't Worry, Be Happy. Jeez. And the the first best hard rock slash metal Grammy was awarded in 1989. Oh, really? Do you want to guess who it went to? Heart. Hard rock metal? Not metal. That wouldn't be metal. Well, I'll let you pick from two. Okay. Jethro Tull? Or Metallica. Metallica. Nope. Jethro Tull. Oh, Boom. really? Jethro Tull won over a huge favorite Metallica in a decision viewed by many critics as out of touch. Jethro Tull's not me- metal. I know. Metallica responded by adding Grammy Awards losers to their albums. <laughs> <laughs> Jethro Tull countered that flutes are a heavy metal instrument. <laughs> That's really true. Yeah. And then uh, this was the, the year the first ever Grammy for Best Rap Performance came out in 1989. Oh, okay. Do you want to guess who it is and what song? Oh, 89. Is it a white guy or a black guy? It's a black guy, so that's a little bit better. A little bit better. better. Is it um, Tone Loke or something? Nope. Um, It's going to be somebody like that. No, it's somebody that's a little bit better, but it's it's still kind of... Bubble gummy. It's still kind of bubble gummy, yeah. That's exactly the term I was thinking of. It's still kind of like... yeah. Family rap. I don't know. It's what like is family it? rap. What is it? Parents just don't understand. Oh, Will Smith? Yeah, DJ Jazz Jazz yeah. and Fresh Prince, yeah. Okay. The first ever rap Grammy, yeah. So the first heavy metal was Jethro Tull over Metallica, <laughs> and the first rap. And I didn't write who hosted the Grammy, so that's all right. That's probably Kenny Rogers again. That's right. Uh, <laughs> probably 18 elderly uh, yeah, I think artists. They, I think they had a bunch of people hosting it back then still. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday, March 1st, 1989, I have not read this line, so I have no idea what it says. Okay. Um, Iceland had prohibition until March 1st, 1989. 
Did you know that? No, I didn't. The ban had originally prohibited all alcohol, but from 1935 onward, only applied to strong beer with an alcohol content of 2.25% or more. Today, Icelanders celebrate Beer Day on March 1st annually. Okay. Yeah, isn't it great? Yeah. You ever been to Iceland? No, I want to go. You do? Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. Why? Because of the beer thing? Or just, no, you've always just in general. It. It'd be interesting to go a place like that. Let's go. All right. Right now? Let's do you it, babe. Just the podcast and go? No. Fine. Can't do that. Bitch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why it's fun to call somebody a bitch. Wednesday, March 1st, <laughs> 1989. Like, one time, there's a kid in our neighborhood... Uh, named Tony and one time he called another kid in the neighborhood a boy uh, the B word <laughs> and I heard about it and he said oh, oh why is your friend grounded and I said to my son and he said oh he called Braden the B word <laughs> and, I was, and I was instantly like that's the coolest thing ever I love that he called him the B word but I can't tell him that no I can't tell him that would be a bad parent uh, also on that same day on March 1st of 1989 uh, a proposal by Sir Tim Berners-Lee mm-hmm. created hyper text markup language which what does that mean hypertext markup language is to make web pages and the uniform resource locator to identify where information is stored the uniform resource locator a url oh it's the basis for our world wide web okay this is when tim berners lee remember that badass motherfucker built the internet we talked about him in our first season that's right i do remember even though our first season was terrible and we admit it we admit it we've come a long way Right. This is good. That was terrible. This is great. <laughs> and then Saturday, March 4th, 1989, Debbie Gibson takes over the Billboard charts. Oh. The great Debbie Gibson. Debbie Gibson. The badass Debbie Gibson. What was the you know song? song? This is her biggest hit. Yeah. And Electric Youth. No, that was her album. I don't, uh, oh, did she yeah, there was a song, a song called that too, but it's not that. This is on that album, I think. Gosh, or, I can't remember it. Here's a little hint. Here are three people who covered this song. This, this will help you. Um, Filipino acoustic band Nayoi Valante and the Menos covered the song on their 2006 self-titled album. Number two, Filipina singer Sarah Geronimo did a cover okay, of the this song is not for her album me Music and Me in 2009. Wait, this is the one that'll get you. Japanese singer Nana Mizuki did an acoustic rendition All of right. the song in MTV Unplugged on What's, January 20th. What is the song? Lost in Your Eyes? That's right. You know how it goes? I mean, I, I would know it if I heard it. I would too. Um... Get lost. Yes. In, in your, your eyes. eyes. Yeah. Anyway, that was Debbie Gibson lost in your eyes. I listen to that a lot in my car and I cry. I'm <laughs> on my way to work. Monday, March 13th, 1989, the biggest solar storm in history was recorded. Solar storm. Solar storm. The storm was so massive that the northern lights could be seen in southern states like Florida. Really? Yeah. Boom. Wow. I looked it up a little bit and it was like all these events that happened at the same time different solar flares and different things all at the once that happened oh, and that's a, what solar a solar storm, storm is. well it's not necessarily what a solar storm was a solar storm was an addition to all these other flares and things oh, that were okay. happening that made that possible i guess i see yeah i don't know i don't know if i get fuck you what's science we're not big science nerds we're not smart it's the thing we're not we're smart. not smart we're not science nerds and yeah i mean when we cover the berlin Losers. wall i mean the truth came out when we covered the berlin wall yeah no and, you kidding. know it's doing anything and, you know, I did know that stuff at one point. We learned it, yeah, you know. But you forget but you it. forget and you don't care. And you're like, ah, oh, God, what was that? I don't know. So <laughs> my friend Muppet, who we've talked about here, he's the guy. Uh, loyal listeners will remember him from the uh, 
binge VHS purchases he's yes. made. He bought a million VHS tapes and then threw them away years later because DVDs came out. Yep. Uh, and we we surmised that he must have spent a uh, hundred bucks for every one of them. <laughs> and then he quickly yelled at me and said he didn't. Uh, anyway, he's a beer enthusiast uh, and uh, has giant mitten hands and red cheeks. But he also, um, and where's that going with him? He, uh, oh, he corrected us on the Berlin Wall. And I was like, yeah, fuck you. I knew that yeah. at some point. Screw you. Because people like to correct us. People like us to... Hey, idiot. No, Here's what the it. truth is. We need to know. But we need it. Yeah, it's good. Sometimes I mean, we wouldn't have our corrections and apologies if we didn't have that. So That's right. Monday, March 20th, 1989, baseball announced it is investigating Pete Rose for serious allegations that do not specify to what they are related. So rumors went wild. Heading the investigation is Washington lawyer John Dowd. Yeah, Pete Rose. So, Everybody's like, fuck Pete Rose. What's the deal with Pete Rose? What the hell? Everybody loves Pete Rose. Ugly motherfucker, but everybody loves him. I mean, so he, was, he must have player. been gam- betting on his own games or something. Or? Yeah, well, truth will come out. Okay. The truth will come out in this episode. This is the Pete Rose episode. Oh, okay. But he, do you, remember, you know what Pete Rose looks like? Yes. Like, he's ugly, yeah. dude. He like, look, ugly. Looks like, like. They call him Charlie Hustle. Um, baseball mitt on his face or something. Yeah, his, his face looks like. He's got a pancake head. kind of looks like Lou Frigno, like. When he's turning into the Hulk, he just kind of looks like that all the time. He's got like a perfectly round head, like a pancake. I guess, maybe. Pancake face. Pancake face. He's just an ugly dude. He's just not attractive. Like big giant nostrils filled with hair. Like hair just like sticking out of the nostrils. Why why are we talking so much about his appearance? Ah, Pete Rose. I don't know. That's that's just one thing I've never been able to get past. I mean, he's an unbelievable baseball player. Yeah. Uh, Man, definitely has a gambling problem. And then on Tuesday, March 21st, 1989, Sports Illustrated reports that Pete Rose has ties to baseball betting. Aha. Uh-huh. Chris Byersdorfer, Michael Fry, Thomas Giosia, and Paul Jansen are identified as either having taken bets from Rose or having knowledge of them. The seriousness of these allegations is that baseball has a regulation posted in every major league clubhouse that players, coaches, and managers are prohibited from betting on games. Anyone found guilty is subject to a lifetime ban oh man and he was a player and a coach and a manager boom so well, that's what god what a greedy fuck to give it all up just to bet on games and yeah and get more money yeah i remember thinking when i was a kid i was calling well you know he didn't bet on the actual game like why can't he bet on other games like why can't he bet if the mets are going to beat the padres or whatever that's not what he was doing though was it I think some of it was that, but I think he had a gambling problem. But the problem is that if he has direct control over the outcome of a game, which That's he as a player and a manager, yeah. he has more control over a lot of people. Yeah, he just had a problem. I think is what it was. But I think his his argument, I think, was largely I lost a lot of bets. So <laughs> that was his argument. Yeah, I think so. Jeez. Um, okay, this one is gruesome. This next one, are you ready? Yeah. Get your gruesome. Yeah. Tell me. On. Tell me everything. You love gruesome stuff. Yep. This is the most gruesome thing, and you can look this up on YouTube. It's This is up there with our, our Bud Dwyer Oh, thing. wow. It's gross, and I watched this one. You did? For a few seconds. No, you didn't watch the whole no, thing? No, I did watch. Well, I don't, I don't think they, they cut away. Oh, okay. Because this is on TV. This is terrible. All right. You're going to love it and hate it because it's got sports in it, so you'll hate that. Oh, okay. But you'll love this because it's gruesome. Is it the guy that broke his leg in half? No. Okay. It's much worse. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't believe I never knew this happened until I was researching this. Okay. Uh, an NHL player, Clint Mullerchuk, had his throat slit during a game. Ooh. And he left the ice only because he knew his mother was watching the game on TV and he didn't want her to see him die. Whoa. He had an equipment manager call and tell her he loved her. 
He survived the incident with 300-plus stitches. During a game on March 22, 1989, between the visiting St. Louis Blues and Malarchek's Buffalo Sabres, Steve Tuttle of the Blues and Yui Krupp of the Sabres crashed hard into the goal crease during play. As they collided, Tuttle's skate blade hit the right front side of Malarchek's neck, severing his jugular vein. Oh, my God. With blood spurting from Malarchek's neck onto the ice, he was able to leave the ice on his own feet with the assistance of his team's athletic trainer, Jim Pizzatelli. Many spectators were physically sickened by the sight. The excessive amount of blood caused 11 fans to faint. Two, two more to suffer heart attacks. Oh, my God. And three players to vomit on the ice. <laughs> oh, my God. Local television cameras covering the game cut away from the sight of Malachek bleeding after noticing what had happened. The Sabres announcers Ted Darling and Mike Robitel were audibly shaken. At the production room of the National Cable Sports Highlight Show, a producer scrolled his tape back to show the event to two other producers who were both horrified by the sight, and they vomited on each other. No, buddy. <laughs> and then they, they filled the control room with vomit. No, and the no, only no. way they could get out is building a boat on a feces. All right. No. Um, Malachick, meanwhile, I believed he was going to die. All I wanted to do was get off the ice, he said. My mother was watching. I didn't want to see me die. Um, and then he asked for a priest. Uh, his life was saved due to quick action by the team's athletic trainer, Jim Pizzutelli, who you can see, this guy, you can see him right away holding the guy's neck. Yeah. The guy's just spurting blood. Blood is just oh, shooting geez. out of his neck. And he's just like holding his neck. Um, but Jim Pizzutelli was a former Army combat medic who served in Vietnam. So he grabbed his neck and pinched off the blood vessel, not letting go until doctors arrived to begin stabilizing the wound. The team doctor led the pair off the ice, then applied extreme pressure by kneeling. So he must have had his fingers in his neck, pinching on the. Yep, pinching on that, yeah. On the vein. Disgusting, yeah. I just. For the first time just now is when I read that the people were vomiting. The players yeah. were vomiting and the, the heart attacks. People were having heart attacks. They were having heart attacks. Jeez. Oh, my God. I mean, it's gruesome. I mean, you can watch it, it on is. YouTube. It's on there. Look up uh, uh, Clint Mellerchuk, M-A-L-A-R-C-H-U-K, and you can see it happen. You can see him just spewing blood. I mean, it's Yeah, it's like an artery, movie. so it's like oh, squirting God. out. And you can hear the announcer like, oh, look at all that blood. Oh, look at all that blood. And they close in on it, and then they quickly, cut away, cut away. That's disgusting. Oh, oh my, my God. God. I can't believe it. It's great. That happened in 1989. Clint Mellerchuk. I'm going to get a Clint Mellerchuk jersey, I think. Well, he deserves it. He does. Yeah. God, the the blade of the skate doing that. Imagine that. I mean, what are the chances? Yeah. How did that happen? Jugular. Yep. Man, that's fucked up. Yeah, it is. I'm going to show our kids that video and then the R. Bud Dwyer video. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't even watch the R. Bud Dwyer one. I can't, man. I can't. It's Friday, Friday, March 24th. Just a couple of days after that uh, jugular vein was cut, the Cincinnati Post reports that Pete Rose's debts totaled nearly $500,000 when he left the Reds in 1978 to sign with the Philadelphia Phillies. Wow. That's so, a lot. Yeah. Those are gambling debts. Gambling debts. 500000 So that's the thing. He was losing. Yeah. So he wasn't always just like rigging them. Yeah. Because he had such a problem. On that same day, on Friday, March 24th, the Exxon Valdez oil spill, in which the tanker hit Prince William Sound's Bly Reef and spilled an estimated 11 to 30 million gallons of oil. The captain, Joseph Hazelwood, was drinking at the time. And that wasn't, I I always, when I think of that oil spill, I always think of when we lived in Chicago. There was another one, wasn't there? There's a million Been a million. But that was like the The first one. one. The Exxon Valdez one was the big one at the time. But remember, the guy was drinking. Yeah. Like that, like, It's awful. But I guess ship captains. Why wouldn't they be drinking? Yeah, what else are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're on the fucking open waters. Yeah, forever at a time. Yeah. 
I want to drink just thinking about that. In fact, I'm going to drink a sip of this Fugly. Uh, it's a Yuzu and Ugly Fruit IPA. Ugly? I want to taste it. It's by Oscar Blues Brewery out of Colorado. You want to try it? It's real fruity. Yeah, you said it didn't even taste like beer. I'm taking a sip. It's real fruity of a beverage. I mean, it tastes like beer. It does? I think it just tastes like fruit. No. It tastes like a fruit roll-up. Sunday, March 25th, 1989, mm-hmm. Mike and the Mechanics take over the top oh, job. what was it they sang? I don't remember this song until it got, again, another song yeah. I didn't recognize until it got to the hook. What was it? The Living Years? Kind of remember. Something like... So the... You do? Oh, something like what? Was it like a more slow song? Yeah, it was a ballad, and then but the a choir kicks in together, and they all sing, "Say it loud." Yes. Yep. Say Speak it clear. clear. You can listen as well as, as you hear. Well as yeah. you can hear, it's too late when, when we, we die. die to admit we don't see I die. Uh, the song addresses a son's regret over unresolved conflict with his now deceased father. Yeah. Kind of sad. It was a sad song. But I didn't recognize that at all until it got to that yeah. part. I was about to turn it off, but I never heard of it. But I know that part. Yep. Anything about that that you want not to that mention? I, not or that I could any think of. unresolved it's just issues? just a sad song. Dead people you want to talk about? Nope. Uh, Sunday, April 1st, 1989 was April Fool's Day. That's true. That's it. That's all, all I got. Right. Then the Bengals have a new song, top song. We've already had Walk We've Like an Egyptian, had Walk like an Egyptian and Manic the, Monday. And this is a ballad. Oh, the, something about... Sung by Susanna Hoff. Something about cold... Some, something about the weather, right? Um, mm, not really the weather. What's it? Well, in a, let me just tell you about this. Susanna Hoff's revealed in a BBC program... That she actually sang the studio recording of the song completely naked after producer David Sigers- David Sigerson pranked her by telling her that Olivia Newton John had done the same thing. He later told her Hoffs he had been lying the whole time. Jeez. So I now can't picture the song without picturing her naked. But wasn't the whole band there? I don't know. Why was she? I don't know. She's but, the only one naked? Oh, Susanna Hoffs naked. She's not done something very smart. Well, smart doesn't matter when you're Susanna Hoffs. All right. Let's, Let's just say. A lot of people in my neighborhood, we pictured her naked <laughs> anyway. All right. So now I get to hear that song, just picture her singing naked, which is probably not good naked. No. What is naked the song, singing. honey? Eternal Flame. Oh, yeah. Is this burning an eternal flame? Say my name. Yes. Sunshine's burning. And then Sunday, April 2nd, yeah. 1989 was Matt Rock's birthday. Remember Matt Ruck? Yes. I don't know if he's listening or not. Matt Ruck, write in if you're listening. But I'll never forget his birthday because WrestleMania was on his birthday that year, and I think we watched it together. And I loved Matt Ruck. We were both big into wrestling. This was WrestleMania five. Okay. This shout was out WrestleMania five. Matt Ruck, shout out. I'll never forget it. That's how I remember his birthday was WrestleMania April second, and the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage for the WWF oh, World Heavyweight Championship. Team. This was no, they were against each other. Oh, I know. I bet your dream This was the Mega Powers team or whatever. The Mega Powers. No, they're not they were a tag team called oh. the Mega Powers. Oh. In WrestleMania and SummerSlam and all that. Remember Hogan oh, and helped then them, they, and they were friends. Now they're adversaries. And they turned on each other because Hulk Hogan was getting 
too fresh with Elizabeth. He was yeah. he was touching her and he would like hug her and and uh, Macho Man didn't like that. He was like, you know, what in the hell is going on? Um, so the Mega Powers, they ruled and dominated WWF for several months. Mm-hmm. However, the domination and tag team began to break up in early 1989 as tensions slowly began to build between the two. This all began on the edition of January 7, 1989, of Saturday night's main event, when Hogan was mercil- mercilessly beaten by the Twin Towers. After his match with Akeem, Savage came out and cleared the ring with a steel chair. Elizabeth took Hogan to the backstage area which angered savage he thought that he was a third wheel and this was the beginning of the breakup of the mega powers the savage was angry that his wife miss elizabeth who was beautiful was used by hogan as his manager what he confronted her about the issue but she took hogan to the backstage area anyway problems so dumb problems problems increased further in the royal rumble match where hogan accidentally eliminated savage the one the big john stud one that i was telling you about earlier as he was trying to eliminate Bad News Brown, Hogan accidentally eliminated Savage. On February 3rd, at the main event, Hogan and Savage faced the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man, in a tag team match that would set up the Mega Powers breakup. During a key point in the match, Savage was thrown out of the ring onto Elizabeth, knocking her unconscious. So Hogan picked her up and carried her to the back. This has gone on he picked very up his long. Wife. He picked up another man's wife. You know, Hogan was out of line leaving Savage to fend for himself in the ring against a big, fat Akeem and big, fat, big boss man, both beating up Macho Man alone because Hogan had to take care of Elizabeth. Hogan eventually returned, but Savage slapped him in the face and took the belt in his hand and turned heel by abandoning Hogan. Despite this, Hogan managed to pick up the win. After Savage attacked Hogan in the medical arena, a uh, medical area of the arena to seal Savage's heel turn, Hogan challenged Savage to rematch to a rematch for the WWF World Championship at WrestleMania, where Savage accepted all right. Because backstage, Hogan was Savage was like, "You took my woman, you touched me, you and he slapped him right in the face, and then they challenged each other, and then this was it, the culmination, and of course Hulk Hogan won. And you know what this was? This was the day I stopped watch, watching wrestling. Oh, I stopped watching on Sunday, April second, nineteen eighty nine. I was like, "Fuck you." For making Macho Man lose the title to Hulk Hogan Ooh. up yours because I realized it was all fake and I was like that's when you realized you didn't know until then yeah, I kind of knew it was anyway but then I was like you know what I'm yeah. done with Hulk Hogan I've had enough he's yeah. won enough enough Hulk Hogan yeah Macho Man needs to still be the greatest and they took his title away and they took his wife away there's no point in anything and fuck wrestling I stopped watching it so we don't have to hear any more this year about wrestling I think that's it really I think that's that's probably it on the podcast for wrestling. Because Sweet. Next season. This as, moment I've been as, waiting for. Well, as you all know, next season is the 70s. Yeah. And wrestling was nothing in the 70s. I, like, I'd have to do a lot. Of, I mean, maybe I'll bring up a couple things here or there, yeah. but wrestling wasn't wrestling until the 80s. That dog's going to bite you. <laughs> but anyway, wrestling wasn't wrestling until the 80s. So that might be it. That's it. Fuck Hulk Hogan and fuck all he stands for. He's a racist bastard anyway. Macho Man was the greatest. I have a Macho Man shirt and, a, and sunglasses. I know. You're so Macho excited. Macho Man's great. I'm going to wear those at work every day. You look like an idiot. Uh, you can take that back you right look now. Like an asshole. Uh, an asshole? <laughs> yeah, you will. An asshole wearing a Macho Man yes, Savage shirt and sunglasses? Yes, you will. You go to hell. Wednesday, April 5th, 1989. The Cleveland Plain Dealer reports that a man listed in court documents by the codename G1 mm-hmm. and identified by sources as Pete Rose bet between $8,000 and $16,000 daily 
on base, on baseball games in 1987. Where was he getting the money to do that? Gioiosa is indicted in federal court in Cincinnati on charges of one count of conspiracy to, dis- to distribute cocaine and two counts of tax evasion and two counts of conspiracy to defraud the So IRS. he had a drug problem too? I guess, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cocaine and I mean I guess if you're betting sixteen thousand dollars a day you gotta be on cocaine. You gotta be on cocaine, yeah. right? And he had giant nostrils, so those were filled with coke. Saturday, April eighth, nineteen eighty nine, new number one single. Yeah. Rock set. Yes. Oh got the look. Yeah, good. Then this is going back to that whole thing about how I said chance things happen to make things other things happen. Yes. History, a lot of times, is all just chance. It's all just jerks and chance. Jerks and assholes and chance. So, this song was released in Sweden. And an American exchange student named Dean Cushman, he returned from Sweden and urged his local top 40 radio station, KDWB in Minneapolis again, to play the song. Oh. Say, hey, this is huge in Sweden. Now we just got back this great song. It's and, not that great, really. And it quickly became popular, and the station began distributing the track to their sister radio operations. EMI America had previously rejected the duo as an unsuitable for the American market of Roxette. And Roxette did not have a recording contract there. The look had already entered the top 50 of the Billboard Hot 100 before the duo began official promotion. It would go on to peak at number one eight weeks later. So if it wasn't for that fucking exchange student, then Roxette would have never, never would have had Roxette. We would have never would have had. You got the look. Thank God for that. You got the look. Okay. What's next? Fuck you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. That wasn't nice. So mean. Have you ever heard of the Hillsborough disaster? No. I haven't either. So I have. There's another no, one okay. I haven't read. So I don't All know right. what I'm about to write. Read it. Read. But on Saturday, April 15th, 1989, the same day that the fine young cannibals took over the number one chart, number one spot in the charts, the Hillsborough disaster was a human crush at Hillsborough Football Stadium in Sheffield, England. And you know, when you talk about England, football is not football; it's soccer. Right. Uh, it was during the 1988-89 FA Cup semifinal game between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. The resulting 96 fatalities and 766 injuries make this the worst disaster in British sporting history. So it was like a stampede or something? Yeah, the crush occurred in the two standing-only central pens in the Leppings Lane stand. I don't know what it is. English. Allocated to Liverpool supporters. Shortly before kickoff, in an attempt to ease overcrowding, Outside the entrance turnstiles, the police match commander, Chief Superintendent David Duckenfield, ordered exit gate C to be opened, leading to an influx of even more supporters to the already overcrowded central pens. In the days and weeks following the disaster, police fed false stories to the press, suggesting that the hooliganism and drinking by Liverpool supporters were the root causes of the disaster. Blaming of Liverpool fans persisted even after the Taylor Report of 1990, which found that the main cause of the disaster was a failure of control by South Yorkshire police. Boom. Yeah, and then there was another shit. But there was a big crushing, people crushing each other. Okay. Yep, and then that, um, and then another NHL player's jugular got cut. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the wrong way. The soccer player got jugular cut. So, do you want to guess the Fine Young Cannibals song? 
that hit number one on the Billboard she charts? Me crazy. Yes. You just You're came a to genius. Me. No, I'm not a genius. So do you remember I how think that's the song? only one I remember. If you if you listen to that song back, the only thing I really found about that song that was unique it was, was a weird looking lead singer. Yeah, he was a weird looking guy, but the unique they had a unique snare drum pop mm-hmm. in it. It was real. Like you, how did they make that sound? Mm-hmm. Um they created that by recording the snare drum portion separately. A speaker was then placed on top of the snare drum and a microphone below. Um, the original recording of the snare drum part was played back through the speaker and re-recorded. But you can hear it yeah. when you listen to it. Okay. Anyway, go listen to it right now. Stop your cars, pull over, wherever you are, punch everyone around you in the face and listen to that song. That's right. April 22nd, 1989, mm-hmm. and the Alba's birthday, Madonna Like a Prayer. Oh, that's a good one. She looks pretty in that video, too. She had long, dark hair. Yeah, and that video, do you remember the controversy over yeah, that video? Yeah, it was like a black guy, and he he looked like Jesus, and then something. She so looked, the, the video directed by Mary Lambert portrays Madonna as a witness to the murder of a girl by a white supremacist. Yeah. By white supremacists. While a black man is arrested for the murder, Madonna... Hides in a church for safety, seeking strength to go forth as a witness. The clip depicts a church and Catholic symbols such as stigmata. And it also features a KKK-style cross-burning and a dream about kissing a black saint. The Vatican condemned the video, while family and religious groups protested its broadcast. The boycotted products by soft... They boycotted products by soft drink manufacturer Pepsi, who had used the song in their commercial. The company then canceled their sponsorship contract with madonna but allowed her to keep the fee retain the fee i didn't realize that was what it, i remember her kissing the, the well, yeah. black guy's feet or somebody's feet or something she was like kissing yeah. the, but i don't remember seeing i guess i didn't maybe i didn't I wasn't smart the enough then but something. i don't remember seeing somebody being murdered by white supremacists and the cross thing i don't think i remember yeah, i, 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 I remember didn't know it. enough about shit back then yeah. probably to know what it was but I was just like, I didn't understand why everyone was outraged. Why are they upset that mm-hmm. she's kissing a black guy? Like, what's the problem? Like, who cares? But I think it's because it's a, I don't it know. It was the religious Religious thing, thing about I guess. it. I don't know. But I still don't quite get it. But I'm glad. It was Pepsi, stupid for them to get all yeah, I mean, that, up about it. In hindsight, now, if that came out, yeah, nobody would give a shit. Yeah, blink. It's such a different world back then. Mm-hmm. It's a different world from where it come from. And now we got a little trivia. This is a quote. And you have to guess. The movie, which I think you'll get. Okay. But I don't think you'll get the actor. Okay. Okay? And this is from Friday, May 5th, 1989. Mm-hmm. If you build it, he will come. Field of Dreams. Yep. And who does the voiceover? Oh, Ray Liotta. What? Yeah, boom. What? Boom. You are a genius. I knew it. My respect for you has doubled. Finally. I finally get a little bit of respect on this program. You have earned my respect. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that was Ray Liotta. Yeah, it was Ray Liotta. You're his a dad. genius. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember that at all. Well, you know what you, you know what you get? What? A 35-second hug. Sweet. From our neighbor, Carl. Oh, okay. He's the guy who rides the bike in the neighborhood. I know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> he struggles riding a bike uphill. Uh, I can't believe he can do the hills in this neighborhood. I can't do it. No, I, I can't gotta say, either. I can't do it. Nope. That gentleman can do it. And then on Saturday, May 6th, 1989, let's see. If you go, if you get this one. All right. Then you, what? We're going to extend that hug to 45 seconds from Carl, the Kentucky Derby winner. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> You're going to guess the name. I'm not. And you have to guess the jockey. We're done with the guessing of the Kentucky Derby. I put my foot down. This is the last time we're going to talk about the Kentucky Derby. Thank the fucking Lord. Whoa. Sunday silence. 
All right. It was the name of the Sunday winner. Sunday Silence. And Pat Venezuela was the was the um, jockey. Jockey. And Pat Venezuela won the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness Stakes aboard Sunday Silence, but he lost his chance to capture the American Triple Crown when he was beat by Easy Goer in the Belmont Stakes. Oh, okay. And that <laughs> Easy Goer, sure, Easy got him. No, it's not. Easy Goer. Really? Was go- he didn't have an easy going of that. All right. He had a shitty going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to come up with a no, funny joke on that. Good. That wasn't good. And then Saturday, May 13th of 1989, Bon Jovi takes over the charts. Okay. You know what song? I don't know what one. Kind of a ballad. The only Bon Jovi ballad, really. Um, is it... Um, I mean, maybe they have several ballads, but... Is it the one that Rich always sings at karaoke? No. No. But these five words, I swear to you. When you breathe, I want to be there oh, for you. Oh, yeah. I'll be there for I'll you. I'll be yeah. there for you. I live and I die for you. I'd steal sun from the sky for you. All right. Um, you know, I had something about they stole that song from some guy named Joel Ellis. Claimed that he stole a song from him. Anyway, but I but you can't find the guy, the original one anywhere. So I was hoping to compare him, but. Some guy named Joel Ellis said Richie Sambora, Richie Sambora's ex-fiance said that they, a lot of times, John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora would mm-hmm. sit at a piano for hours with tapes that people had sent them, oh, and just try to find stuff to steal. Oh, really? And they listened to this guy's song over and over. This Richie Sambora's fiance told this guy yeah. they listened to your tape over and over, and that's how they got that song. It's completely stolen. They just laughed about it. Ha ha ha! And the guy's all pissed. Oh, but you can't find that anywhere, so you can't verify that. Yeah. But then on May 20th of 1989, Paula Abdul knocks Bon Jovi right off the charts. So it's a moot point. Oh, after straight With up. With her second she's song, second yeah. Song? Yep. Which one is this? And one? did you know, speaking of Paula Abdul, did you know that she was a, yeah, I know she was a choreographer. Yeah. And we know she was Janet Jackson's choreographer, yeah. also Madonna's. Yeah. She was also a choreographer for George Michael, ZZ Top, and Duran Duran. <laughs> really? Yeah. I get most of those. There's one in there that just no. jumps out at me. Yes, as, me too. What choreography are they doing? Yeah. Are they spinning the guitars, I guess? Top, I guess she came up with the spinning the guitars. Have you ever seen ZZ Top do anything no. other than spin guitars? No, I don't. And big dudes, fat old dudes with big, big beards? Big, long beards. I mean, they were old dudes then, and they're still on tour. Yeah, that's crazy. they got to be 100. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what did she choreograph for ZZ Top? I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, it's Forever Your Girl. Oh, that's right. I'm forever your girl. And just so you know, as we're talking about these artists, Debbie Gibson wrote her own songs. Yes. Respect. Yep. Respect. Debbie Gibson. Paul Abdul only wrote, she only co-wrote one song on her okay. own album. She didn't write any of them except she co-wrote one. Yeah. And it was one of the duds. Oh, okay. One of the ones I'd never even heard of. So it was a dud. And she's a dud. <laughs> All right. Anyway. And then we have some news on May 22nd of Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. He wrote and played the bass line for Young MC's Bust a Move. Did you know that? No. Don't just stand there, bust a move. Yeah. yeah my anyway, he never received a songwriting credit for any or any royalties from it. Okay. He was paid two hundred dollars for his studio time, and the song went on to become a number one hit and sell millions of records. Well, that sucks. Flea. Yeah. He didn't get anything for it. I don't have any. I didn't like look up any information. So I don't know if he's pissed about it or if he doesn't care because he made it famous anyway. Yeah. He's put a sock on his junk, so he probably doesn't care. But yeah, Flea wrote that and played it. That's I didn't funny. know that. Now I want to go back and listen to that and picture him playing it. Yeah, I always picture him with no, no clothes on except for a sock. Yeah, no except for a sock. what he's doing, that's all I picture. That's all you picture all day, whether all we're talking picture, about Flea or not. That's true. Like, every time I see you, you're just, like, daydreaming of 
flee naked. Flee with a sock on his wing. Yeah, it's weird. I'm like, honey, come back to life. It's dinner time. We're yep. with our kids, you know. <laughs> and you're thinking of flee naked. True. Wednesday, May 24th of 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was released. Now, is that the, the one theaters. with Sean Connery? I think so. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of stuff about who they decided to put Sean Connery, like how they decided to put yeah. him in it, whatever. Um, but the only tidbit I wrote down about this mm-hmm. that I care about is that 2,000 rats were bred for the production. They had to be bred specially, as ordinary rats would have been riddled with disease. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I don't think I saw it, so I'm not sure. I don't think I did either. I don't think I said, but once they added a dad and a kid and all that, yeah, I just, it was like, like dumb know, after that. Fucking Indiana Jones jumped the shark. Yep, I think you're right about that. You know, whatever. Fuck everything. That's true. Friday, June, <laughs> Friday, June second, 1989. No holds barred. The movie came out. God, that's a faint memory. This movie was produced by no, star Hulk Hogan. That's right. And his boss, WWF head honcho Vince McMahon, only to be distributed by New Line Cinema after completion. When the first draft of the script was turned in, Hogan and McMahon disapproved of it. I thought we weren't going to have any more wrestling. This was, I guess this is it. Oh. So they checked into a hotel in Reddington Beach, Florida, and they stayed up for 72 hours rewriting the script together. To a lot pro- of co- talk about cocaine. Hogan and Vince McMahon did cocaine off each other's butts. That's right. And to promote the movie. <laughs> each other's butts. To promote the movie, Tommy Tiny Lister was brought in the WWF as Zeus. Uh, you, know, he became, you know, the guy who played the bad guy in mm-hmm. that. You remember him, Tiny Lister? The I big never guy saw Friday. that movie. Yeah, but you know who Tiny Lister is, right? He's a big no. guy. I think it was in Friday, Friday movies. He had a cross eye, a big giant black guy with bald, and he had a Z shaved in his head. No, I don't know who that anyway, is. Anyway, so he... So they put him in wrestling to promote the movie. Yeah. But he was an actor. He didn't know how to wrestle. So he pretended he was angry about losing in the movie and saying he could beat Hogan in real life. So they, they put him in wrestling and they had him tag team with Macho Man against Hogan and stuff like that. Uh, but the problem is he was not a real wrestler. He wrestled only three matches. Uh, and he 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 was terrible. Uh, finally, Vince f- knew the movie was a bust and wouldn't sell on pay-per-view by itself. So he sold the pay-per-view no holds barred to match the movie at the end of 1989. They did a thing where they played the movie and then they did a match oh. uh, with him wrestling. It was stupid. That is stupid. And dumb. But that movie was basically, the movie was basically just Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Like the whole, like a whole story about Hulk Hogan. And then, <laughs> it, but he was, his name was Rip. Rip. God. It wasn't Rip Taylor, but it was like Rip something. Yeah. And it was Rip him. And he had a, he did this, which meant Rip. He had a hand signal that he yeah. did, you know, with his hand. Rip him. And it was just basically a Hulk Hogan match. Because every match was like a movie, like where he hulked up and went crazy. And it was like an exciting Jeez, thing. Jeez, how he boring. Beat this guy. But I remember seeing that movie for Jimmy Jaco's birthday at the Wood, Woodville Mall. You do? When we were, I don't know. It must have been the next year. It must have been 1990 if this came out in. 89. Oh, no, the movie came out in June. Yeah, the movie. Actually, this is Jim's birthday, June 2nd. Oh, so it was opening out, day. You went was, to see it? <laughs> Yeah, oh my god! Shit, it was opening day that year, so we were uh, uh, let's see, thirteen. Uh, god, we turned his thirteenth birthday. I guess so I had to get dropped off. So now that mall is on the other side of town. Yeah. So I was the only kid from the bad side of the town that was invited. So I, I was basically watching this movie with all the kids from the good side of town. Yeah. So it was like the poor kids, and one of his fucking friends uh, dumped a. a 
bucket of popcorn on my head uh, at the party. It was like a birthday party. We we're all there. What and a our jerk. Parents dropped, yeah, he dumped it on my head. And uh, uh, I think he was jealous because Jim, it was Jim's yeah. best friend, but he started liking me more than him. So, yeah, he dumped a whole thing of popcorn on my head right at the beginning. Like, what a jerk. And I had butter all over my hair and Aww. salt and stuff. And it was like all greasy the whole rest of the night. And, um, and I hated that fucking guy ever I since. I guess so. Yeah. What an asshole. I have yet to receive an apology, but uh, that son of a bitch. But I understand he was probably jealous because he and Jimmy were best friends. And yeah. then Jim and I had lockers next door to each other. And so uh, we, uh, he, he was jealous buddies. that we were buddies. But for me, it was hard because I was the only, you know, yeah. dirty kid. Whatever. He felt like he was we were called dirty kids anyway because we were from the poor side. And yeah, I felt, yeah. He was, so I had to enjoy the party the, the whole rest of the time. With all that shit in my hair and everything. Poor babe. Yeah, you feel bad for me? Yeah. Yep. I think he's rich and successful now and something. But So he's not listening. Is he's what you're not, trying to say. He's never gonna listen. He won't come to our class reunions. Probably because he feels feels bad about what he did. Yeah, it's probably during the old during the old Bart movie. <laughs> Saturday, June third, nineteen eighty nine. Michael Damien takes over the Billboard charts. Oh my god, I forgot about that douchebag. Michael he was Damien. On, he was on The Young and the Restless. He was an actor. No, yeah, right? he was an actor on The Young and the Restless, but he played a rock star on uh, the right. show. I guess this song. And it, then it became. This song is what made them offer him the part. I think. Yeah. No, he was an actor first. Are you sure? I'm positive. He played a rock star on The Young and the Restless, and they then he came out with this because I remember my mom watched that show. I think I read. And then he. Came I out, read that it was the opposite. I believe he recorded this song and it got popular and then they offered him the thing I could be wrong I, I, don't I might know. be wrong we I, might have to do some research on yeah that. because I feel like but it anyway, was like what Danny he, from Young and the Restless has got a do you know song, what song out now it's not no, he I don't remember it's a song. remake yeah it's I, a total remake yeah but I, I can't remember which and one it was I thought this when I looked this up I thought the song was Def Leppard which it was Def Leppard remade remade it after him yeah rock on yes rock on so it was originally written in 1973. Uh, hey, by, kid, rock and roll, rock, rock on. on. By Essex. Yes. Essex wrote it originally, yeah. Um, but then this douchebag rewrote it. <laughs> this total douchebag, <laughs> Michael Damien. If you look him up, like, first thing I remember think, exactly what he. I remember exactly what he looks like. I don't at all. That's why I think he was an actor first, because I remember thinking, Why does this guy have a song? singing now? Because he yeah. was just on a soap opera. He wasn't even, like, a primetime actor. Yeah, he's not good at no. all. No. I mean, no, the name Michael Damien so is just dumb. douchey. Danny, and he had his girlfriend named Cricket. <laughs> Whoa, you know a lot <laughs> about that. Restless. What do you think he's up to now, Michael Damien? Oh, God. He probably hung himself or something. Do you, are you, you said that hopefully. <laughs> like <laughs> no. You hope that he hung himself. No, I don't hope that. I don't hope anybody Well, he's not that. Millie Vanilli. No. Didn't that guy kill himself? I'm, hung himself? Yeah, I think something. Um, and then on June 5th, 1989, William Lamb mm-hmm. was a scuba diver. Do you know who that is? No. Are you familiar with William Lamb, a scuba nope. diver? Nope. He was sucked up by an intake pipe of a Florida nuclear power plant, <gasps> and he was dragged over 1,600 feet and deposited in one of their reactor cooling ponds. Oh, my God. He, so he was in, like, nuclear sludge? He lived. He did? Yep. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That sucks. And he had nightmares about it ever since. I guess so. He said, every time I tried to fall asleep after that night, I, I saw it and thought it all over again. Oh, I bet it was awful. Yeah, he was 45 years old. So he was sucked 1,600 feet? 1,600 feet of pipeline and deposited into the plant's cooling pond. I I thought I was dead, Lamb said. It was darker than any dark I've ever seen. I tumbled and bounced all over the sides of the pipe. 
Power Company spokesman Gary Mahalik How said did the they figure out what happened? Pipe has a concrete cap suspended near the ocean, opening to cut down on the suction and prevent fish from being sucked in as well as divers. But Lamb said it obviously doesn't fucking work. What, um... I wonder how they figured out what happened to him. I don't know, but he declined to have doctors examine him. God. Oh, he was dumped into the cooling pond and he was pulled out by security guards. Oh. So they must have saw him in there. Oh, my God. What an awful thing. It, I'm so stupid, though, with measurement. I, it's like 1,600 feet. I'm like, how how long would it take? Oh, I don't know. 1,600. So think of 100 feet. Yeah. Well, 10 feet, I always think of it as 10 feet is the height of a basketball Oh, yeah. Thing. That's 10. Yeah. So 1,600. So I think 100. 1,600, yeah. Think of, yeah. 100 basketball hoops on top of each other and then do that 16 times. Yeah. Because that's, that's a long time. Yeah. That would be awful. Yeah. That would be. Yes. You want to do it? Stop. No, you want to do that? No, I don't want to do it. Do it. And then on Friday, June 9th, speaking of that, Dead Poets Society came out. Speaking of that. That was the 10th top grossing movie of 1989, yeah. Dead Poets Society. Uh, I used to love that movie. I never once saw it. I used to like you it. You wanted to do it with all the dudes. You thought they were no. cute, probably. No. You thought they were cute. Come mm-hmm. on. They're all cute. There Which, wasn't. No, it was all the heartthrobs. It was all no. heartthrobs. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Robin Williams is a heartthrob. To help his young <laughs> leads bond, director Pete Wire had them all roomed together. The lead role originally was Dustin Hoffman, and then he quit. Then they hired Liam Neeson, and then the director quit, and the new director gave it to Robin Williams and took it away from Liam Neeson. There you go. Yeah, Robin Williams. He was good. That was like one of his first serious roles, right? I think so. And then Saturday, June 10th, 1989, we got a new number one song by Bette motherfucking Midler, y'all. Oh, Wind Beneath My Wings. Oh, yeah. It wasn't hip-hop. Wind Beneath My Wings. Yeah. It's from Beaches. That's right. You know who the song was originally recorded by in 1982? Mm, no. Roger Whitaker. I wouldn't have guessed that. And then Sheena Easton and Lee Greenwood sang it. And some other stuff. But yeah, but Bette Miller took it over the top. She did. And Bette Miller and Barbara Streisand are basically the same thing. No. As far as I'm concerned. I'm telling Don McAllister. Oh, don't you ever say that again. I will <laughs> kick your fucking ass. Although he probably likes Bette Miller, too. Not not as not even close. Not even close to Barbara is the only thing. I asked him if he'd ever met her, and he said she would not stoop herself to the level <laughs> of meeting fans. <laughs> she would not stoop that low. Tuesday, June thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine, the NBA champions were the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, they won a, a four. A, they won the series against the LA Lakers in a four game sweep, making the first time a team, the Lakers, had swept the first three rounds of the playoffs only to be swept in the finals. As of today, the Pistons are the most recent Eastern Conference team to sweep the NBA Finals. For their, The Pistons were known for their f- rough physical play and sometimes arrogant demeanor. And the Pistons center, Bill Lambeer, was nicknamed, he nicknamed the team the Bad Boys. The name became an unofficial slogan for the Pistons throughout the next season as well. Following the series, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar announces retirement at 42 after 20 years in the NBA, and Pistons guard Joe Dumars was named MVP for the series. Sweet. And uh, that's where we'll end. Yes. Because we've run out of time. Um, 
Father Time has come down from the heavens and told us to fucking end the podcast. That's right. That's Bitches. Right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yeah, I, I, I have to say thank you. I really care about all of you. Everyone who's listening right now, I care about you. Even if I don't know you, I care about you more and than a friend. Rate, review, subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, Give us five Spotify stars. now, too. Oh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. We're on Spotify and um, YouTube. Yep, and we got a couple episodes on YouTube. We're getting oh, not, that slowly. Well, going. I found a way to actually put our audio just on YouTube as well. So I, I'm not sure how that works, but yeah, we're everywhere. Okay, we're gonna be everywhere. But Spotify, we're on there thanks to Podbean. Some people listen to Podbean. Uh, shout out to all the people who've given us five stars. Fat Larry, I love you, man. Uh, yeah. Joe Christian's a beautiful son of a bitch. All right. But Matt Truman's the greatest. And yes. Let us know if you have a favorite Matt Truman song that you'd like to be the outro of next season. Let us know. That's right. And buy up. his shit. Buy Sli- his shit. Slide into our DMs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Anyway. All right. It's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry.
American Timelines. American Timeline.